Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 12 of the Parenting Aces podcast, a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week I am so excited to bring to you Amanda Fink of USTA Southwest, formerly of USTA SoCal, and uh, just an all-around amazing human, an amazing tennis player, an amazing tennis coach, and somebody who loves our sport and has been involved in our sport at all different levels. Amanda is going to share with you how she got started playing tennis and the role tennis has played in her life and continues to play in her life, especially now that she is getting ready to become a mom for the first time. So uh, without further ado, I give you Amanda Fink. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Amanda, it was so awesome to finally meet you in Scottsdale and now to get you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out. And I know our audience can't tell by looking at you, but you're expecting (laughs) baby number one, like really soon. Yeah, I'm really excited. And thank you again so much for having me. Like I told you when we got to finally connect in Scottsdale, it's it's, it's cool to, because I've definitely been aware of your podcast and the things you've been doing, but obviously to meet face to face and to be able to connect is something special and creates, especially the way that we got to with a bunch of really fun women around us. Um, it's created a unique experience. And yes, I am expecting in October. So I'm excited and terrified. So you're going to um, be a have... tennis parent. <laughs> I am going to be a tennis parent. Yeah. I'm a, I've already decided that uh, I'm, if my kid plays tennis, that I will not be coaching them after the age of six. <laughs> Smart woman. <laughs> but but um, yes, I, we are really excited um, and I am excited to be here. Yeah. Awesome. So because it's your first time with us and because not everybody knows how awesome you are in your experience, um, can you give us a little bit of your story in tennis, how you got started in the sport and kind of your pathway through to where you are now as a coach and working with our governing body? Absolutely. So I started playing tennis when I was eight. I was playing alongside other sports. I also played soccer and softball. 
Um, once I was 13, I was playing competitively in both the, in all three, uh, in club softball, club soccer and tournament tennis. And it was clearly time with the training schedules to whittle it down. And I decided that tennis was the way I really wanted to go. I started tennis because a lot of people in my family play recreationally. And it was something that I got to kind of come into my own with. And um, I definitely had a game style that was that was different than other people out there. I was a I was the grinder. I was that kid that everyone hates to play, that all the matches were three hours and all the how the high balls, people's backhands, and I'm a lefty. But um, I was definitely gritty. Um, I think that took me very, very far. I ended up being one of the top juniors in the country in the 16s and 18s and was recruited by colleges, lucky enough to be recruited by colleges all over the country. Um, Ended up playing at USC from 2005 to 2009. Uh, Got to do some amazing things there. My team got to the semifinals of NC2As my freshman year. I got to win a conference championship uh, individually, and my team did my senior year. Um, And then coming out of that, I graduated with a undergrad in psychology uh, and then competed on the tour for three years where I reached the top 300 about, I think I was about 264 when I stopped. Um, Like many people, I think throughout my career, I have honestly had a love and hate relationship with tennis because it has been a lot of who I am. But um, as we'll probably come to find out, uh, my community around me did a really great job of recognizing me, you know, as not just a player, but a person and that I had, you know, I was not just a player. I was a people person. Um, I like music. There were all these interests that helped me when I was done playing. I did stay in tennis in coaching, which I actually did not expect to do. I fell in love almost accidentally with coaching. But through that, I got to find other opportunities um, within tennis to give back and not just being on the court. Uh, Being part of the USPTA and being able to serve on coaching boards and being able to impact our coaching community, as well as being involved in the USTA. Uh, This is is my first section board here in the Southwest, but I was also heavily involved with activities in SoCal. So I'm getting to hopefully leave tennis in a better place than where I even was. Um, and, and I loved it already. So I've had a really full circle journey with tennis and I'm very, very grateful to have had the opportunity. So what is your current role with USTA Southwest? So I'm currently a board director at large. So I am, you know, I'm not an officer, but I am in all those meetings. We are having all the, you know, the discussions about it, but the board, a lot of people don't understand what a board does. We are more of the, you know, 10,000 foot view of what tennis looks like. I think when I originally got on the board, a lot of parents and um, league players are really excited. They're like, great. Um, can we change all of these rules that are part of these tournaments? And these things are like, that's not what I do. Like this is we're we're looking at how tennis is going as a whole and then seeing generally where we can maybe advise staff to to make improvements or to, you know, have new projects like the one that Ashley got to pilot with our women's tennis summit, which was very, very successful. Um, so things like that. So we are more of the the grandstand view of tennis than than in the weeds, so to speak. <laughs> Got it. And because you have grown up and and really touched every aspect of tennis from a junior through college, through professional tennis, now as a coach, you have such a great perspective on all of this. Um that I really want to pick your brain about junior development and what your 
overarching philosophy is when you're developing a junior player. And then maybe we'll dig into some of the detail. Sure. So overarching in general, I, like I said before, I was lucky enough where I got to be in a really supportive community that recognized that I was more than a player, that I was a person. And that is something I think I'm trying to bring into at least my seat at the table when it comes to thinking about development. I think for a long time, and this is also my experience as a player, is that the USTA, you know, and and rightfully so, we were very, very focused on finding the next great thing, like, and putting all our eggs in one basket. It's got to be this player. It's got to be, we got to put all our resources into this player. And the unfortunate part is that's great to try to find the next great player, but it leaves so many players out. So many players without resources, without opportunities. And I think, what we have as much as we're we're still trying to figure out the best way to to aid junior players and to foster junior players i think what the usta has done a good job of is trying to adjust within its mission to be able to to widen its net to recognizing more players and not just more players at the high performance level, just being able to get more players into the game and staying in the game in general. And that, especially right now, I know there's a lot of focus in, you know, the drop off between players that, well, if I'm not playing at the national competitive level, competitive level being recruited by college, or I played through high school and now I'm at college, but I didn't make, you know, the team we're losing all of those players mm-hmm. when, you know, if you play and you love to play, it should be a part of your life, your entire life. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's more, it's more than just about this college scholarship. It's more about, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's made me the person that I am. And I think that being able to focus on that aspect of junior development, of being able to keep players in the game at whatever level that may mean and having a place for everyone, mm-hmm. I think that has become more and more important to the organization as a whole. And we're seeing that with tennis on campus and that that initiative growing to campuses all over big schools, small schools, state schools, private schools. I mean, we, we're seeing those teams everywhere, also known as club tennis for those who may not know the, the term tennis on campus, um, which is a co-ed opportunity to play in college and super fun and very social and but also extremely competitive. Absolutely. I think it's actually a very, very underrated source. And I talk about this a lot when I do get to do workshops about how there's a lot of either misinformation or not enough information, I think, sometimes out there for parents and players about what that program is and what it means. You know, you can, you know, prioritize if you have a, if you're going to, I mean, quite honestly, if you're going to have a science major in college, I mean, I don't care how good you are. You, it's hard to make to be able to play <laughs> yeah. and be able to do something like that with all the labs and things. Um, you can still have a great experience in those club tennis programs. It's, it is. I agree. It's very, very competitive. Those national championships are no joke, and a lot of people don't realize that there is a national championship for that division alone. Um, or, you know, it can be social. It's like, you know, it, it's there, it, it's a, there are cuts places. I mean, the more competitive, usually the varsity team is the more competitive, therefore the right. tennis on campus program is, but usually there is a place for everyone in some way, shape or form. And what I love about it is that you can be the really competitive person, or you can be the person that's out there. I just want to play and get exercise and meet people. And so it is a great inclusive program. 
but I think oftentimes it's overlooked or still sometimes very underrated when it really shouldn't be. Right. And it is a great option for the player that, as you said, wants to pursue a more time-consuming major or maybe wants to be able to do a junior year abroad program or be part of Greek life on campus or campus government or something like that where, right. um, you know, playing varsity tennis may or may not allow for that uh, flexibility. Right. Yeah, my favorite tennis on campus story is still, and I'm sure he hates it because I bring it up so much, but if you don't know who Grant Chen is, Grant is <laughs> is his currently the head coach at SMU and came out of our tennis on campus program at UCLA. He started playing there. He became a manager there. He became a very knowledgeable team leader there ended up being in his, like working his way up to associate head coach of the varsity UCLA team is now currently like one of the most respected college coaches in the country. Yeah. It is a, it is a highly valued program and some great tennis leaders come out of it. Well, and I love that you you say the word leader in conjunction with it because that's one thing um those of you who don't know Grant um you need to know Grant. Um, he he probably knows you even if you don't know him because right. that's how well connected he is. And um, he's one of those people that has taken the opportunity at every turn to make as many connections as possible inside and outside of tennis, but then bridging the gap between those communities and doing so, so successfully. Um, and yeah, he's having great success at SMU now. Sad to leave it, have him leave UCLA because I'm a Bruin too, <laughs> but um, you know, it is what it is. So um, anyway, that's our pitch for tennis on campus for <laughs> club tennis in college. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, please take a look as a great alternative to playing varsity tennis for your kids. And um, now I want to transition back to junior tennis, Amanda, and really want to mm -hmm. pick your brain about junior tennis. Junior tennis development has gotten so complicated. You know, we're hearing that you've got to have your tennis coach and you've got to have your fitness coach and you've got to have your mental skills coach and your footwork coach. Can you break all of this down with us and help us figure out how to find the balance so that we keep this development process enjoyable for the right. kid because they're kids and they like to have fun. They like to enjoy <laughs> what they're doing right. or else they're going to quit and go do what their friends are doing. Um, how do we find that balance? But at the same time, continue to support their dreams, whether that's to play on their high school varsity team, whether it's to play in college, whether it's to play professionally. How do we do this? It's it's sure. so complicated. And the most complicated part, I have to tell you, Lisa, is the hard the hard part is that the 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 because the easy answer would be ask your kid what they really want to do <laughs> and and be able to run with it. But the problem is is that our kids are whether they want to make their parents happy or their coach happy. Sometimes it's hard to get the the accurate, realistic answer yeah. just just from them alone, which you know is something that we we're not going to solve here today. But um, it, it is it is an issue all in itself. But in terms of of the journey, um, I, I, I get it that now it seems nowadays that in order to be successful, you have to have a staff. Um, I can tell you that that's not true because I definitely did not have one. Yeah. It's so expensive. 
<laughs> it's so um, expensive. It really is. But so the, it really comes down to usually you're going to find that there's a couple people. So not one person is going to do everything. And it's, it's unrealistic to, to, to expect that that's going to happen. But there are, I think now and now with there's, you know, more resources being available or more people specializing in some of these things based on, you know, I tell parents, you know, you know, your kid better than anybody. You're going to know that they need like, like if, if is fitness and the actual on-court training a priority is just the tennis and the psychology a priority. I don't expect that everyone's going to do all these things every week. Your child would have no life and, or, or they would be completely focused on tennis. And if that's what they want and makes them happy, great. But I would say that the majority of, of kids, that's, that is not the case. So being able to find just a couple people who serve as those mentors, and usually there's a little overlap, like for instance, Myself, like I, I can deliver on court things. If a parent specifically asks me to do footwork with their child as well, I will integrate it into their lesson. I will tell them that it's going to take time out of the lesson. I can't like extend myself, but if it's something that I know the student has to work on, or my parents know that their kids have to focus on, is my responsibility. If I feel like I have the knowledge, or am I, or I'm certified, or I'm trained to do that, or for me, I have the experience of through the training to, to, right. to know tennis specifics that I can integrate it. Um, you're also, um, I, I know you had Todd on recently who talked about how, you know, finding a fitness professional who is tennis specific. Yeah. Um, I, I, I totally agree. I, if you, if you have, if you are training with someone off court that doesn't have any background in knowledge of tennis or doesn't show the interest that is going to go watch tennis to be able to learn what to pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say it's a total waste of time, but you are probably not, not going completely like the most efficient direction we could be. So I not think that, only it, that I, and I don't mean to cut you off, but if they don't have tennis specific knowledge in terms of fitness training, they could actually cause injury in your child Correct. because they're developing the wrong muscles, the wrong movements um, that aren't going to serve the child well on the court. So absolutely, it, it can be dangerous. So yes. Yeah. And then the other thing I would say is that, I mean, I know in terms of the UST, I feel like there is a stigma where if my child doesn't train with the USTA or go to these national camps or sexual camps, they're not going to be recognized. They're not going to be followed. It's not, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. No, I it's, it's, you know, if, if you're, if you're a child, if that's not the route they want to go, I mean, I know at least for me growing up as a junior, like later on in my high school career, when I could adjust my schedule to finish earlier, I would go to, it was Carson at the time that, you know, had a Mecca of tennis and my mom would drive me all the way out there from Calabasas, which, you know, there like hour and a half back five hours, depending on traffic. Yeah. But, but honestly, I think that, um, and I know we might touch on this later, but I think I got more experience. I think more juniors will get the best experience by playing more, matches and no one wants to hear that but everyone's like the intangibles about how to compete um the endurance what it takes to win how to come back from when you're losing what to do when you're up five zero and you blow it like i do all the time 
Um, those things can really only be learned in real time. And I, 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 I advise that juniors as much as I, obviously for my business, I would love people to continue to come see me, but I think it's just as, if not more important than seeing all these professionals is to be able to play a practice match, not a set, not a, you know, four games or a tiebreaker is actually playing a match with someone and different kinds of people throughout the week, including people you don't like to play or people that you are not best friends with, which is hard for a lot of juniors and parents to hear because a lot of them like to be in their very special coddled space but that is that is not the real world. And whether you are training with the USDA or with your coach or class, you're going to run into the same thing at some point. And there is no governing body or coach or pro that is going to replace those things. We can advise you about, you know, how those situations go. And parents can pay us money to be able to, you know, connect with their child um, and be able to hopefully mentor them in that situation. But we can't replace the situation. They right. need to be able to deal with that day in, day out. So the challenge that a lot of families face, and I hear this every time I bring up, you know, your kid needs to be playing more practice matches, mm-hmm. um, is, well, there's nobody around to play with, or the other kids don't want to play practice matches because they don't want my kid to figure out how to beat them in a practice mm-hmm. match. Um, or, you know, this academy over here won't allow their kids to play this academy over there. And so there's nobody to play with. Give us some solutions to those barriers because right. I have some, but I want to hear yours. Yeah. So first of all, I think this whole, and I totally get it. That whole thing is insane. Uh, I think that we are And it all didn't hurt. exist. It, yeah, it certainly didn't exist when I was a kid, but you're saying it didn't even exist when you were coming up and you're a lot I younger think, than I am. I, I think it was, it was, it was starting to like some players like definitely were, were standoffish from it. But I think that there were enough of us that all kind of knew that we were helping each other. Like, you know, I would definitely play people during the week that I was significantly better than uh, people that were my level and some people that were, you know, pretty challenging. And every once in a while, my mom would, you know, have a college player come or compensate someone that was a lot more challenging just to play the sets with me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would get those different levels, but yeah, this whole culture of I'm in my bubble and you're in your bubble is just, I I wish I could understand it. Um, It doesn't, it's not helping anyone. Um, The solutions are tough. I'm I'm not going to lie. It's not an easy situation to go through, but it's, it's, it's kind of like the college process where part of the responsibility is on, on the player and part of the responsibility is within the parents and the coaches. Um, so the first step is if you're a player and you're playing in these tournaments, there's like 31 people in the straw every week that are your age and level. They might not live right next door to you, or they might not be exactly your, whatever your WTN or your UTR, but Clearly, you are all willing to go to this tournament, so you all have a certain amount of radius from each other. And it's super awkward at first, but getting phone numbers at tournaments, especially when you're just getting started, I think is really important. Whether you play an opponent and you win or lose, uh, whether it's the player or the parent uh, connecting with another parent, 
just exchanging phone numbers and being able just to just constantly reach out. Because at some point, <laughs> if I ask you enough times, at some point, you're going to have to tell me. Yes. Well, not only that, you then think? you've got a list of people to ask to play doubles too. So exactly. it's, it serves a dual purpose. Exactly. And I've done it before where I have, I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes I have reached out, like I've had a player that's asked me about that. And I have reached out to an academy coach, or I have reached out to another coach and said, Hey, my player is trying to play with your players. It's not, I need your help. It's like, not like you have to do this or whatever. Like usually there's enough mutual respect between parents and coaches, at least at a certain point that it's like, listen, we're all trying to make each other better. I'm not trying to come in and steal your blueprints. I'm not coming in as a coach and I'm not trying to steal your kids. Trust me. I don't have time for your kids anyway. Um, So it's not what it's about. And I think that we're, I think a lot of times providers, we're all a little timid that that's kind of what we're facing is the stealing of the blueprints and whatnot. But, you know, even if you play someone, that person's not going to play exactly the same way twice. (laughs) You might see their game style, but everyone is different on every given day. So I think, I think oftentimes we're still making a lot of excuses um, for things that, that shouldn't be a thing, but in in terms of like, you know, the tournaments and, and the governing bodies, I think that, Again, the USTA has it's having its hurdles and it's 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 trying. But you know, through these EDC camps and through a lot of these other programs that they're starting to offer, they're trying to foster kids getting to meet other kids and hopefully connect with them. But they can only lead the horses to the water, right? You have to be able to take the step. And sometimes, again, for kids, depending on what age they are, that can be really awkward. And it can be a little more on the parents to go, okay, I've, I've brought my kid to this event. Here are the other parents. I need to get all of their numbers. Yeah. And then, I mean, I, I, my, I am super, you know, old school. My mom, literally at some point, like my mom, when I was really young, would arrange these things for me. But at a certain point, she would give me the list of all the phone numbers that she had accumulated. And it was my job to have a practice match every day. And if I didn't, I risked losing my lesson with my coach or, you know, other things because my parents were great and they knew that that was an important part of my development and the part of training that made me the strongest as a player. So two things popped into my brain as you were talking. One is... If it is difficult to find people to agree to to play these practice matches, maybe invite them to play a practice doubles match. And maybe that's your in, you know, maybe you get four players together, you play a a match of doubles, and then maybe you play round robin singles, you know, and yes, that's a great transition into it kind of from the side. Um, The other thing that popped into my head is at these camps that USDA is putting on, it would be lovely to have the coaches leading those camps stop for a moment and say, okay, every kid here, I want you to text me your phone number and I'm going to put it all together in a list and I'm going to send it out to to all the kids that you're seeing here today Uh, so that you're all connected. So let USTA maybe take the lead on that as a jumping off point. And mm -hmm. then it becomes something that's a little more normalized. I don't know why it got normalized to not play practice matches. (laughs) Well, again, it makes no sense earlier. Yeah. But people are very, very timid about it. They think that, well, I think also we're a lot more, um, 
protective of, of, of our, of our players, fragile nature, meaning that, you know, we don't want, my eyes cannot roll big enough. Right <laughs> I now. know, but that's kind of what it is. It's like, oh my God, if my kid loses to this kid and they're better than this kid, they're not going to want to play in the tournament this weekend. There's a lot of fear that's developed like that because, and I, I mean, I don't, tra- I mean, I think it's just developed because of a lot of things, but honestly, and I, I, I get that now between college recruiting coming earlier, high school tennis getting way more competitive. Like everything is definitely, there's more pressure on everything. And that has definitely made its way down even to like, you know, getting started. I also love your, your thought about the round robin, because that also, if I'm, you know, if I'm a parent and I don't live very close, but if I know that if I drive my child somewhere, they're going to get doubles and round robin singles play. I'm more willing to, to go the distance. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a great idea too. I've definitely done that with other players as well. That's fantastic. What are your thoughts on junior players playing practice matches against adults and against kids that are at the next level? So if, if they're, you know, a 14 year old, maybe playing a a high level high school player, if they're in high Mm -hmm. school, maybe playing practice matches against a college player, Sure. So I think it's a good experience, but what I caution lots of parents on is that a lot of people say, okay, well, the, the, the best practice my kid is going to get is going to be that next level and having that person come in. And what I remind them is, is that, are you going to be playing someone like that every time in the first round of a tournament? And the answer is no. Right. It's, it's just as important to learn to play someone that is about your level and the people that aren't your level and be able to kind of command a match against those players as it is to be able to step up to the challenge above you. So I think it is good, again, to have variety and to mix that in. I don't think, again, you're not, you, you will get a good experience playing against an adult, but that is who not who you're playing <laughs> when you play a tournament. So I think there, as long as you can accept that and you, you know that when you're playing an adult, okay, I'm going to work on these skills and now I'm going to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when I'm playing a, a, a high schooler, like they're going to have more power than I do, but I can, you know, work on absorbing power and I can work on these skills. And that's as long as what the focus is and stepping up to the challenge, as long as it's not the same type of player every day, it can be beneficial. But oftentimes I think a lot of people think that's what it has to be every day. And I don't think that's the way. Well, so building on, on that statement, Amanda, what about the importance of saying yes when a player who's not as experienced as you or not at your level, you know, they're below your level, asks you to play a practice match? How do you right. find value in saying yes to that? So generally speaking, if you're working with a coach or you're developing your game, you are expanding the tools in your toolkit, especially up to like a certain certain level in each Um, you see that experience as an opportunity to work on the tools that you're building. So for instance, um, me, for example, I only hit top spin. I hate hitting slice and drop shots. But if I'm playing against someone that is a little less experienced than me, then maybe I'll have more confidence to try those shots in real play, which can be often really intimidating <laughs> when you're playing someone that's more challenging than you. So it's, it's it's seeing it as an opportunity to use new tools in the toolkit and to actually work on these things that you're working on with your coach. Because just doing them in lessons is not going to magically make them appear when you play in matches. It's getting confidence in using them in point play. So I think that uh, using those opportunities to work on 
surf and balling, things that you just don't normally do all the time, but the things that you're going to want to pull out of your pocket sometimes eventually are, it's a good opportunity. So that's why saying yes, even to someone that is less experienced than you can actually be really important in your development using that as practice play. Can you talk a little bit about finding a win, a lesson, a value every time you step foot on the court or even not on the court, doing some other type of work to improve your tennis, whether it's in the gym or reading a book or listening to a podcast or whatever it may be that you're doing to get better as a tennis player. Right. So a lot of times you're right, but a lot of people also confuse that you have to be on court to be improving uh, what you're doing as a player. And that is not true. (laughs) Um, Like we kind of alluded to earlier, tennis specific fitness is very, very important. And yes, a lot of it is done on court, but trust me, you're not going to want to be outside every day, every hour. And there is a lot of useful things you can do in the gym, uh, as long as it is explosive training relevant, uh, change of direction relevant. And as long as the strength movements you were doing, if we're talking about lifting are like, you know, power, like a weighted lunge combined with a jump, like things that are more relevant to what you're doing specifically on court will help. Um, in terms of the, you know, the, the podcasts and the watching of the tape and the things I can honestly tell you that no one hates watching tape more than me, (laughs) but, um, you know, my coaches at times, especially like I had, there was a time that I was injured, uh, back injury. So I was out for a couple months and, uh, I had to watch tape and that was awful. But, um, but my coaches did give me direction. They're like, oh, we want you to watch these matches and look for patterns. Cause we, lo- we all learn at junior, you know, at a certain point of the junior tennis level, how important pattern creation is being able to be confident in our game plans. And sometimes they end up becoming unconscious after a while. But being able to study other players and to go, okay, so I'm watching Kim Cloisters and she tends to hit these five balls cross court before she even thinks about changing direction on the ball. Things like that can be useful in that, okay, well, when I go out in the court and I know a player is beating me, I can start, I can, instead of getting freaking out, which might happen anyway, (laughs) I can at least step back and go, okay, what's happening What's this person doing to me? What is their comfort pattern and how do I take them out of it? Or what patterns after watching these players and knowing my shots, what things are successful for me? You know, do I like roping, you know, two, three balls to someone's backhand and then finding a short angle somewhere? Do I want to hit two balls and come to the net? You know, everyone's game style is different. So to be able to study the game is kind of important to be able to recognize the things that are going on within your opponent and within yourself. Um, and the coaching podcast and the reading books, I mean, I definitely, my parents had me read inner game of tennis. They had me read winning ugly. Um, and I can't, and, and the thing is too, is I don't expect players to, to take podcasts and tape and all the intellectual things and remember all of it. Um, Mm -hmm. what I do expect is that they're going to find a couple thoughts that are relevant to them. And be able to tell me, you know what, I read this and this is, these are the couple of things that I thought actually resonated with me about like the way I play. Because again, it all comes back to who you are. That's what makes tennis great is that we're all different. All our game styles are different. All of our game plans are different. The way we approach the game is different. So being able to pick out things that are relevant to you, I think are really, really important because otherwise it's easy to get over-consumed or um, over-intimidated with the amount of information, especially now that is out there. 
for <laughs> sure. And I love that idea of just pulling a couple bullet points out that resonate with you. Maybe you have a notebook and you jot those couple things down, or maybe you make index cards that you keep in your bag and, Mm -hmm. you know, you look at on side changes or whatever it is. Um, Or maybe you just internalize them and that's how you utilize it. It's different for everybody, but I, I do like the notion of, you know, it's not every single word and every single sentence that is going to change my game or change my life. But there's typically at least one thing to be learned. Right. And, um, and, and I, this whole idea of kind of structuring the development process to the individual is something that seems to get lost a lot too. And I think, Parents tend to forget that. Kids tend to forget that because we're always comparing. And especially now with ratings and rankings being published every week, it's, it's a comparison game. That's, Mm -hmm. it's just become that we've become obsessed with that. How do we get back as coaches and also as players and support people for players to the fun the the growth, the life lessons, all of these things that attracted you to the game, that attracted me to the game. And I think right. probably attracted most people to the game if they're honest about it, um, but mm-hmm. may have gotten lost along the way. Sure. So I think as we get, again, the over the over uh, truckload of information, that the point you just made is exactly what we have to keep reexamining is, is why we're playing in the first place. And again, that answer is going to be different for every, every player. Um, some do want to be the next, you know, now that Roger Federer's not playing, want to be the next Roger Federer and take his spot. Some people, you know, some kids, their end goal is making their high school varsity tennis team. Some of them is, I just want to be able to rally and play with my friends that play. And so I think keeping those, those goals and and realistic and in check, I think sometimes often, especially, especially parents sometimes will, will hear the goal and go, but my, my, my child is capable of, you know, all these things. And it very well may be, but they are, but if they don't want it, then we're just, we're, we're pushing into a brick wall. Um, so I think being very, very honest about why we're doing what we're doing will lead to, okay, again, how many of these other things do we really need to be considering? But yeah, in terms of the, the rankings and things, it's again, information is always a, a blessing and a curse. Yeah. It's all, I mean, to be fair, like there's a lot of good like statistics and things that can be generated from those things. Um, especially as you get later in development, if you are considering college tennis, being able to know what the ratings of the players are, do I fit in here or will, you know, in a couple of years, will I have the potential to fit in here? There's lots of good upside for that, but yes, there is the downside of having it available and being obsessed Kind of like with, with weight, when you're trying to lose weight, right? It's like, if I have a goal to lose like five, 10 pounds, I'm going to be on the scale every day, probably three times a day, wondering if it's happened yet. Um, If I want my rating to go up a point, I'm going to be looking every day to, you know, wonder if it's happened yet. And we have to remember that with, with time and with, with the right mindset and with you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, good things will come. Or the things that are meant to be will be. No, no computer algorithm is going to set how you live your life or how 
or how honestly, I mean, maybe some of the choices at the end of the day. But I mean, if I were a parent, again, I we'll see. Um, if I would, I would definitely limit. Uh, you know, it's kind of like social media; it's a gift and a curse. I would probably try to limit my child's access to be able to look at that. Obviously we don't have their phones, so we don't have control 24 seven, but it's like, listen, let's, let's look at this like once a month and see where we're at. We don't need to look at it every week because quite honestly, even when there are changes, they're going to be really, really small. You're not going to go like (laughs) whatever WTM up like a 40 to a one or whatever it is. Like it's not going to happen overnight anyway. This is meant to be, you know, your, your tennis journey and your tennis journey from when you start from when, whether it's six or eight or 10 or whatever, you have to see, okay, my tennis journey is from when I start through at least the junior tennis journey, right through when I'm 18. Mm -hmm. And I have to see it as a big picture item and not as a, you know, a minutia thing that is going to make or break who I am comparatively speaking to my friends every week, just because I have a lower WTN UTR than my friend this week does not mean that they are that much of a better player than me. And it's not, does not mean that they are a better person than me. It has nothing, nothing to do with that. So being able to, to have it in moderation is fine. I think, and and parents having access to it as a tool, I understand the scouting benefits of it. I understand when you're in a tournament, being able to look to see, Again, you just want to use it to see the ballpark of where your opponent is. Yeah. It is not It is not going to tell you everything. It is not going to solve all your problems. So I think we do have to step back and remember that it's a tool and not an obsession. Again, just like social media and everything else that's come out, we have, it's a lot of information, but you have to only use it in bits when it is relevant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I want to talk about to this whole, you've used the word mentor several times during our conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a word I use quite a bit too. And, and I'm a, a big believer in the value of mentors at, at all stages of life. As a coach now, and kind of reflecting back on the coaches you had coming up through juniors, college and professional tennis, how do you view your role as a mentor to the players that you work with and to their parents, but also who do you look to now to mentor you as you continue to build your skill set as a coach? Yeah. So I don't, um, I, I will never claim that I am a professional psychologist. I only have an undergrad in it, but I think that a lot of my mentorship, at least, especially when it comes to my junior players, has been the ability to be a really good listener. I would, I hope at least you have to ask my kids, but um, to be able to, you know, push kids, but also be able to ask them what's going on in their lives. Um, be able to, when I see that a drill is not going well or something's not going well, not to assume that they've been taking on me, but to stop and actually check in with them. Since usually there is more going on than a lot of us give them credit for, especially in the teenage years. Um, yes. <laughs> um, cause usually there is something else and, you know, I, I have been, I think privileged where kids do trust me with information. I also, you know, I, I, I know from growing up that I am that person aside, you know, we can't, we don't feel like we can share like literally everything with our parents feel like we're going to let them down or worry them. And sometimes to be that person that, you know, a junior can go to, you know, with 
with reasonable problems, obviously it's very serious. We involve parents, but being able to advise them just on everyday life. And, and a lot of times I've found that a lot of the, the things that we're trying to accomplish in drills are very parallel to things that are going through their lives. Um, for example, a, for, so for example, I'm working with a couple of players that are currently at JV status on their high school team. And they are, you know, their goal is to be on the varsity high school team. And it's a hard, complex thing because I think maybe sometimes they do want to be on the varsity teams, but they feel like, you know, I think my parents might want it more than mm. me. Um, and man, if I don't do this, I feel like I am trying, but I'm not, I'm not getting to where I'm supposed to be. And I feel like if I'm not doing that, I'm letting everybody down and it shows up in the tennis, right? It's like, you know, having that feeling alone, even like at a lesson when I'm trying to get someone to finish a 30 ball drill, you know, that is longer. And all of a sudden you miss, you know, we famously, uh, I grew up with a, a coach that did a plus or minus drill that I keep today where, you know, I, I run somebody and if they make their ball, their score goes up by one, but if they miss it, their score goes down by one. So if they miss a couple, you dig yourself into a hole. And often we find out where our mental strength lies a little bit in doing a drill like that. And when the kids don't stop trying to pull themselves out of the hole, that's when that conversation starts about, mm-hmm. listen, like, this is our goal, right? We're trying to get here. And they're like, yeah, but like, it's clearly I'm not doing good enough. I'm like, why does you missing three balls define that you are not good enough for this? It doesn't make any sense. We kind of get overwrapped a little bit in some of the small letdowns and we, it's hard to step back and see the big picture. So being able to pull a kid aside and go, listen, this drill might not be going well right now, but that doesn't, it's not going to listen. We're not going to leave until you finish it. So clearly we're going to figure out how to do it. So it's better if you can just calm down and figure out how to work through the problem instead of abandoning it or instead of thinking that you're not good enough for it, which is often the case. Lots of kids, once they have that little taste of failure, they assume because of our culture right now of, you know, right now success, if it's not successful, it's not worth it. So we have those little setbacks and we go, we're not worth it. We're not good enough. We're not good enough to be here. We're not good enough to reach that next stage. And just being able to understand how that student is feeling and then being able to address the big picture. These three balls you miss do not affect who you are as a person. These three balls do not change how I feel about you as a coach. And they do not change how your parents feel about you. They are never convinced of that. Right. <laughs> but, but it is. It's like, you know, I've, I, I was talking to someone else the other day about how parents sometimes, or even co- w- with coaches, we have to explain to our kids. And I was telling you this, I think, at the summit about how, you know, we're, we're fans. And how we're very invested and how we just want the kids to do really well. And just because they're not, I mean, yes, you might not see a smile on our face, but that's because we're feeling for you. That's because we want it. We want it almost as much as you do. <laughs> so being able to, to listen to those things and being able to address them, um, being able to sometimes even smooth over those relationships, whether it's between like the, the uh a coach student relationship or a parent student relationship mm-hmm. and being kind of the mediator. Sometimes it's definitely not something we want to do all the time, but it's, it's definitely an important part of, of, of development because once, once a player feels like they're in an environment where it's like, okay, I can, I do have the space to figure this out, or I do have the space to try and get better, or I do have the space to fail. 
and try again, that's where confidence will come in. Most of the kids, and we know that last tiny, like 5% of like being going from a good to a great player is usually in that category in the confidence and self-belief kind of center of the pyramid or the top of the pyramid. And it is the hardest 5% to achieve, but we have to kind of work on creating an environment that, that is going to foster that. Absolutely. I'm sorry. My dog's going nuts. Um, That's okay. The second part, sorry, you asked me if, if I have mentors. Um, yeah. I Sure. So, um, so my parents, whether <laughs> they know it or not, are always going to be my mentors. As I told you originally, um, I was excited about doing this podcast to, to be able to thank them <laughs> for uh, being quite honestly, really great parents and for knowing me and for being able to push me, but being able to recognize when I needed time off for recognizing that I had other interests than tennis. Um, they are great leaders in their own respect uh, for lots of projects, uh, especially like my dad is the, is the president of a whole soccer club in Southern California. A lot of, a lot of uh, junior soccer wow. players and coaches and things look to him. Um, they, they are, they are truly great understanders of, of athletes. They don't think so, but I think so. Um, so they are great mentors for me. Um, in terms of the, the coaching community, I mean, we have so many great female leaders that sometimes go unrecognized. I always talk about how, uh, Carrie Buck, who is a member who is in Southern California. I think I've known the Buck family since I was 10. Um, Jim recently passed away this year, but Annette is, is run like a thousand SoCal, not a thousand, tens of thousands of SoCal tournaments. Um, and then getting to know their daughter, who is a, is a tennis professional. And as I was getting started in coaching, being able to reach out to other women in coaching and being able to find out like, hey, like getting involved in these other projects, is this really, is this, can I do this? A lot of times, even when I started as a coach, you know, I, I'm contradicting myself, but a lot of times I think I felt like I was unworthy of doing all these other things that I was being tapped on the shoulder to do. Like I'm doing industry, I'm doing speaking at coaching seminars over the past couple of years and these other things that were not exactly directly in my wheelhouse, but to be pushed by, you know, someone like a Carrie or honestly having my experience at the USDA national level on their nominating committee and meeting all these people that are very influential in tennis and in business, quite honestly, you know, the USDA is a multi-million dollar company. And being able and being part of the committee that helps select a board for this organization is a is no is a big deal. And to meet people that are, you know, presidents of boards of, of companies, um, other again, industry heads of tennis, and being able to not only be able to talk to them and be but but they saw, I think they saw me as their equal at that table. And I think to have that opportunity and to know that other people, whether they've been in business for, they've been doing pettis or business or whatever, way longer than I have and have been made way more, way more important decisions than I have um, to be able to be accepted at that level and to be treated like an equal, I think is huge where I now again, have that 5% of confidence where it's like, wow, maybe one day. I can do these national boards if I'm really interested in it. And I feel like I have uh, an area of impact that I can uh, create there. Um, it, it's given me a lot of confidence and freedom. So having, being around, you know, our national board, being around this nominating committee, even like, you know, I'm serving on now our national local play committee 
uh, working on with like the juniors that are coming up that are not ready for the, the actual circuit yet, but like the team challenges and these products that I think need a lot more advertising, a lot more communication, a lot more awareness because they are good products. Um, I honestly didn't use, I didn't know a couple of them existed until mm-hmm. being on the, on a committee like that. So being able to have impact there um, and having those opportunities. Uh, Steve Riggs is another person who is a provider in Southern California who told, who literally called me and said, Amanda, I need you to speak at a seminar. And I had done zero speaking ever. And he's like, it's going to be great. You just come and you do it. And I've been speaking ever since. So I thank him for all of that. So yes, having, having really strong leaders in our community, being able to empower people like me has been just very rewarding. And you don't have to have a professional background or anything to do that. If you love tennis and you're impacting it, I think that is contagious to other people, but also just like you know, junior or college tennis, you also might, you, you'd be surprised just reaching out to someone, reaching out to you and saying, Hey, do you need someone to come on your podcast? Yeah. Uh, just having the courage just to say hello and to ask because sometimes otherwise no one knows that you're interested. No one knows you're on the radar. So, uh, developing, it's not only mentorship, but you know, developing just the ability to network, the ability to ask questions, I think is also really important. For sure. For sure. Well, Amanda, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you where I can't believe the hour is coming to an end. And <laughs> thank God my dog has finally stopped barking. Um, I think the UPS guy was here or something, but um, if people want to reach out to you, is there a good contact uh, that you're willing to share? Absolutely. So my, uh, my personal email is the afink, A-F-I-N-K-1-5 at gmail.com. Um, I never have a problem. I never get too many emails, so <laughs> it's fine. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Those are the only two I have because those are the only two I can handle. <laughs> I believe that is the at Amanda Think More, uh, More being my married name. Um, so yeah, anyone can come find me anytime. I'm always open for questions and I love meeting new people. So I hope to hear from you. Awesome. I will have those links in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So if you didn't jot them down, um, just go to parentingaces.com and click on this podcast and you'll have those links available to you. It's just great to get to know you better. And I now I know who to look for um, (laughs) at these events. And I hope we run into each other much more often in the coming months and years. And I wish you all the best with Baby Fink, or I guess it's Baby More. Baby More. Baby More on the way. So um, can't wait to see pictures on your Instagram. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. It's good to ne- connect with you as well. I got to learn a lot about you, learning about your show and being able to meet you in person has been great. So look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, absolutely. To my audience, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.